All right, welcome to Peeps Creek, the cafe where we serve you delightful, slightly intense, but definitely worthwhile conversations. A podcast focused on bringing people together by drinking, listening, and conversing. So grab your favorite drink and let's see what's on today's menu. All right, so we are on episode 37. Episode 37 is I Love You, Now Die, Michelle Carter, Needy or In Need. That is today's menu. And we are back on our crime ish all right so before we get into the episode before we get into the episode we want to officially welcome christian back to the podcast hello christian you want to say hello to the people or anything you want to say in regards to being back to the podcast i'm back that's all you got all right great all right we're excited to have you hopefully you have some great things to offer to it or you probably won't be back all right so (laughs) (laughs) i always did (laughs) all right right. so this is a documentary that was on hbo um it's called i love you now die it's michelle carter case Uh, it is a modern age romeo and juliet except for juliet did not die with romeo in this particular case um this is a case dealing with an individual two individuals uh, who were in love quote unquote um as teenagers um in the good old state of massachusetts they live about an hour away from each other um at some points in the documentary we heard 40 minutes but somewhere between 40 minutes and an hour away from each other um they had exchanged over 65,000 text messages between each other and that is how they became quote unquote in love right you should Uh, say how they met um, we're going to get there. Oh, okay. I'm just setting this up. And so this case is about an individual who is charged with involuntary manslaughter. We'll talk about a little bit what that means. But essentially, she's in charge with involuntary manslaughter based upon her text messages to the individual with whom she says she was in love with, who ultimately decided to take his own life at the age of 18. Um, and so... We are going to dive into that particular topic. All right, so um, who's Michelle Carter? Let's start there. She's a girl that lives in Massachusetts and at the time was in high school. Not really a popular girl, didn't have many friends. Um, She, from what the show says, suffered from a few mental illnesses. Um, Debatable, but go ahead. Yeah, that's about it. All right. Anything, Denise, on your end on that? No, I no. Um, yeah, I mean, what he said, Michelle Carter is just the individual that is being accused of the crime. <laughs> All right. And then we have Conrad Roy the third. Um, and so let me let me just take this moment to say this. Um, I know that we are doing commentary on a documentary um, and unfortunately, we are doing commentary concerning um, teenagers, individuals who are not adults under the law at that particular time, even though technically she should have been charged as a dark, but we'll put that aside. Um, <laughs> um, we are dealing with individuals who are adolescents, um, and one of those adolescents decided to take his own life. Um, and so let me just say we would try our best to um, be respectful um, of his life um without going too much into his medical history only because we really don't know that much about his particular medical history other than the little tidbits that we know 
from the show that was brought up um, in regards to um, the evidence that was presented in the trial. Now, I did my own independent research, but I also want to be respectful of the fact that um, a family lost their loved one um, and particularly a a young man so um we would try our best to be respectful of that so let me just get that disclaimer out at this particular point um all and right. can i can i add that the yep. comments that we make during this is our own opinions is our uh, it's our what we gather out of what we watched um it's not that we are necessarily saying you know this is what should have happened or should have not happened right um so just making that clear for those out there all right we don't want to get messages well we do of, want to get messages but no no, no I, I mean we don't want to get messages of those involved in the case talking about look me up <laughs> you're still with I am. oh my god yeah, she, I, I can't she let that go. still oh my god you can't let that go life is too Listen, short i'm a tourist and as tourists i i hold on to things i can't let yeah, them yeah but go. that's not worth it let that go okay move <laughs> We're, moving right on we're moving right on all right so we open up in this particular series and we immediately are introduced to michelle carter at the time who's 17 conrad roy who's at the time um 18 and they allegedly fell love in love in 2012 and i'm looking down because i'm looking at my notes because i wanted to take good notes on this particular case um they lived about an hour away i think i've already said that and they've only met physically um five times or less so we don't even know how many times they've met physically um but they've met um in the good old state of florida right because their families apparently um are involved in a um what you call that where people got money and they go to these little <laughs> i was trying to think of that i was gonna just gonna say they both oh country club. club country club there you go yes their families were yeah. both part of a country club in florida i want to know if it was trump's um country okay. club anyways we'll get, we'll... anyways <laughs> moving right along <laughs> that, well, you can do your own research on that later. i know but <laughs> i just, just go on sitting here the... today i just realized it could have been trump's perfect okay all right moving but anyway right okay that would not change the outcome of what occurred. I always gonna change the way I present this case. No, it's like, no. All right, so they met apparently in the good old state of Florida at a country club. Michelle's family was a member there, and apparently Conrad Roy's the third um, auntie introduced them. Um, and so, however they met, whatever they met, um, and after they met, they kind of just started this relationship um basically through text and skype is yeah. what i gathered right right yeah like, mostly like text it was it was a lot of text messages um it was a virtual relationship long distance do you think they were in love they say they were in love she says she loved no I, mean, I don't think so for like any high schooler they're like oh my god you're the love of my life you know i think it was more one-sided yeah. i think that she was infatuated with him and i think for him it was more of a i just need someone to listen yeah she had that she created that own story and they mentioned that on, on the show as well they do but she doesn't uh, she doesn't say that they mentioned this as their own synopsis of yeah. their 
their interpretation of their we'll relationship. Get to, like, those messages, yeah, the so. whole the whole thing is just interpretation, really, yeah. because we don't get to hear from Michelle. They decline to even participate in that in the documentary, and we do hear from the parents. But personally, I felt like everything that I was listening to and that I was looking at was based on the interpretation. You know what I mean? Like if I would have, unfortunately, I couldn't hear from Conrad what actually happened, but maybe if I would have heard from Michelle, I could have felt differently with the whole, you know, situation. Yeah, It's just a very sad documentary altogether. For Conrad? I think for both. You know, regardless of, of what occurred, it's like at the, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but it's like the prosecutor said when she was doing her interview after, you know, the decision was made. It's just a sad day for everyone. You know, yeah. it won't bring Khan right back, but it's also a life of a person that, you know, a young person that is now just, I don't know. Cool. Just That's just are, my are, personal you're talking opinion. About Michelle? Yeah. I mean, it's not like her life ended. It's like she's out. She got the bare minimum, to be quite honest. Like we haven't got there yet. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, we haven't got there. I'm, 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 I'm like, I can't agree with that. But okay, anyways. I mean, I yeah, I, we'll talk about that. But okay, so we oh, this series opens up, um, and it as it opens up, it really just tells you that this is truly going to be about the communications that people exchange through text, right? Um, and so we're talking about over years, and, I, and as I open this up, it was over 65,000 text messages between the two, right? So we're talking about um, quite a bit, but we open up with these text messages. So we get a text message that shows up, pops up on the screen from Conrad that says, I love you so much. Michelle responds, I love you for forever. Then there's another text message from Conrad that says, I'm in the worst pain right now. Like it's unbearable. And then Michelle responds, I think it's time to do it now then. It's okay to be scared and it's, it's normal. I mean, you're about to die. Then it goes back to Michelle and she says, are you going to do it? Then Conrad responds, I just don't know how to leave, you know. And then it goes back to Michelle, say you're going to go to the store or something. And then she says, you're overthinking. And Conrad responds, I know I'm overthinking. I've been overthinking for a while. And she says, I know you have to do it like you said. Are you going to do it now? Then she goes back and says, drink bleach. Why don't you just drink bleach? Hang yourself. Jump off a building. Stab yourself. I don't know. There's a lot of ways. All right. So that's how this series opens up, right? With on the screen pops up of these communication text messages. And so right away, you are aware that this case is truly going to be based upon text messages, communications, electronic communications, and not so much verbal communication. All right. What are you about to say, Denise? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Having a side conversation over here. Oh. Um, but I will say this. I There were so many messages that were going on that I did not write them. It sounds like you actually did. Um, he found them online. But, Oh, okay. No, no. As I was watching it, I wrote them down, but then I did my own independent research. And actually, if you go and look at the the do research, you can pull up all of the evidence from the cases. And so technically, I have every single text message that they ever exchanged that the cops were able to pull from the, the records. 
Um, and so on a PDF, it's like 300 pages of I'm sure, 60,000 items that they got. I'm yes, sure that and it's... That, and that is just between the two, Conrad and mm-hmm. Michelle. But then there... Right, that it doesn't include the, the ones to her friends and right. all the other ones. Now, yeah. those are available. I have those too. But yes. <laughs> I, I actually, as I, I was going through it, I tried to just gather the ones that I felt were, you know, like the one where she was saying about the bleach um, or, you know, do this or go find this or do that. Those are the ones that I actually wrote down. All right. Um, all right. And so um, then we jump into three after these messages come up and, 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 and for context purposes, um, we don't know from the documentary specifically the dates all of these messages are popping up on the screen, right? If it's something that was relevant to right before the decedent decided to take his life, it would say that. But a lot of times what would happen is these messages would just pop up and we wouldn't necessarily know the time frame, right? If you go and do your own independent research, then you can gather the time frame. But essentially what happens is the documentary jumps to three years later, they were um, Shell is charged with involuntary manslaughter. Um, and the true question is, did her text messages to Conrad cross the legal line and make her responsible for, depending on who was talking, some people say I'm responsible for her friend's death. Um, and then other people were saying responsible for her boyfriend's death. So that, so, and, and, and the reason I, I, I want to bring that up is, Okay, were they in a relationship? Do you think they were in a relationship? Or do you think this was just Michelle's perspective of a relationship? No, I think they were in a relationship. Even Conrad's mom at one point said it. But it wasn't like... I wouldn't say it was like a real... Like, I think they were both like, yeah, we're together. But it wasn't like... Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like a real relationship? Yeah, I hear you. What about you, Janice? No, I don't think they were in a relationship. I think that... Michelle wanted to, and not necessarily wanted, but she felt that because I have your attention and because I ask you, um, you know, are we in a relationship? And you tell me, yeah, okay, we in a relationship. But again, I think for him, it was more of a, I don't even think his mind was into wanting to have a relationship. It was more of a, this is a person that's outside of my family that's willing to listen to me. So if what she wants me to say is that we're in a relationship, that's what I'll say. Yeah, so I concur with that. I, I think that if, if when you look at the messages, particularly um, as he gets closer to the date um, of his suicide, I think it's clear that she that there was no solidification about whether or not they were boyfriend or girlfriend. Right. Because I think she even asked him at one point when you do it. Can I say that um, I was your girlfriend, basically, right? Um, and so if they were truly in a relationship, I think that, that that conversation between the two would not need to necessarily be had. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah. So um, just for those individuals out there, so um, involuntary manslaughter is a legal, um, it is a crime, right? Um, every jurisdiction can decide how it wants to define what um, involuntary manslaughter is. But in the District of Men, Massachusetts, or in the state of Mass, ooh, in the state of Massachusetts, um, 
it is about wanton or reckless behavior um, and that is conduct meaning that you are actually doing something or it's wanton or reckless um inability or refusal to do something so in other words um if it's an action that you are actually doing that is wanton or reckless that leads to an individual um dying that could be um, rec um involuntary manslaughter or if you do not do something um to prevent um the the wanton or reckless conduct from resulting in a um individual losing their life that that in and of itself could be involuntary manslaughter right um so basically what it is is this it says based on if it's an objective measure it's based on a, a defendant's actions constitutes wanton and reckless conduct if an ordinary normal person under the same circumstances would have realized the gravity of the danger and if it's based upon a subjective and that means based upon the individual the defendant's own knowledge grave danger to others must have been apparent in other words the person who's been charged must know um that the defendant um that there is a risk um that can happen that someone can lose their life and they know that risk they appreciate that risk but they don't do anything to avert that risk so um that's basically where we are um and so we are in the situation where one individual michelle carter is basically saying look at least her defense is saying um i have the right to say what i want in text messages i wasn't there like i was a hundred how many miles away i was an hour away I didn't force Conrad to get into the vehicle. I didn't force Conrad to decide to take his life. And my words, even if taken as true, um, does not make me guilty of manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. Right? Yeah. Is that where we are? Everybody agree with that? Yeah, that's exactly what the, um, the lawyer kept saying, you know. Yeah, she could have texted him whatever she texted him, but she didn't physically push him into the vehicle. She didn't buy the items that he purchased to kill himself. So she's not guilty. Right. Um, and, and, and and so um, so let's talk a little bit about some of these text messages. So Conrad, apparently, um, and again, I don't want to speak for him because I don't know him. I don't know his family. I haven't communicated with his family. But what was presented in the documentary is that Conrad suffered from some anxiety, depression, um, depression um, and some other internal issues. Um, and he had attempted suicide twice before. Yeah. Right. At one point, he attempted to try to drown himself. Um, now, I don't know if the documentary shows this, but when you read the Supreme Court decision from Massachusetts, you get all of these details. At one particular point, he tried to kill himself by going underwater, standing underwater, but then he came back up and he said, um, at least as the court indicated in, in, in its opinion, that he needed fresh air. So he didn't want to, he stopped the process of committing suicide. Um, because he felt like he just needed to come get fresh air. Another time is that he had an overdose of Tylenol, right? Yeah, the the one with the pool was not mentioned in the documentary. But the yeah. Tylenol Only is. The, yeah, the pool. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, when you look at the when you do you when you do the independent research, you find out all these other factors. But in the documentary, they only highlight the Tylenol. 
Um, and so that Tylenol, I think they highlighted because it showed at least symmetry between the two because Michelle allegedly had her own issues. And at one point she had communicated via text to a friend um, that she wanted to commit suicide and she actually had a noose um, and she was in the closet, but she didn't really put the noose around her neck, um, but she was going to hang herself. Is yeah. what I gather. Is am I mistaken that? No, that's what they said. No, yeah, that that's what they said. And she I did, think she didn't for, put around her neck, right? I don't think she tried to kill herself. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think. I think she she. I don't think she went as far as to do it. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the documentary does mention that he attempted suicide up to four times. Because I think I wrote it down. So they did mention that it was more than once, and I. I think that they may have mentioned the one with the pills because he happened to talk to her through text messages after it happened. Right. Yeah, about saying um, that like it doesn't work, like you can't over. Yeah, that it didn't work. It, yeah. He was in the hospital and so she didn't know where he was for the whole week and all of that. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know how I, I, this this case was just like it's unfortunate because it's teenagers, right? Um, but let me just say this for the record. I really don't like Michelle. Um, I felt a, for the record, that's his personal opinion. If anybody out there is listening, oh, yeah, I don't like her. I really don't care. I no, don't I'm like just saying, her in case we have somebody. No, yeah, I, don't, I don't like her. Um, I felt like she was a liar. I felt like she was trying to manipulate the system. I felt like in regards to her, I, I just felt like it was a slap in the face of the fact that you knew I, I, I don't think you get around the fact that she knew that, that Conrad suffered from depression. I think if you look at the text messages between the two, you you get that very clear from him that I'm suffering from these demons, right? These demons of, I need to go away. I don't know if I need to go away at this particular date, but um, I feel like I have so many issues. And then even in the documentary, they show a video of him and I don't know if it's on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. And he's talking about the fact that he suffers from this depression, right? And that he feels like he has the social anxiety and he's like constantly battling himself with it. I just feel like she knew that and she latched onto that and she manipulated it and used it. Um, and so because of that, I just, I don't know. I, I have no sympathy for her. I know she's an, a kid, but I just, I, kids can be manipulative. I just. I think she knew what she was doing. At one point, at least. What's your thought process? Um, I have no doubts that to a certain degree, she knew what she was doing. I don't agree with the fact that she... I personally feel that they both latched onto each other because they both knew that each was dealing with these issues, right? I think that had they not been had one person been dealing with the depression and the other one was you know perfectly fine i don't even think their relationship would have lasted the two years that they actually did because being that they were so far apart i don't think that they would have you know made efforts to continue but i think the fact that they were both mentally going through problems is what made them latch onto each other um i don't particularly feel or think that it was once she started seeing those videos of him that she decided to latch on to him. I think that she knew way before that. 
you know, what was going on. And they just it gravitated towards each other because they could relate to each other of what they were going through. Okay. Well, um, now I will say, go ahead. by all means, don't think that I agree with what she did or whatnot. I just, I don't know if it's because I, I tend to kind of try to put myself in, you know, in their shoes as I'm, as I'm reviewing it or listening to it, that I feel that although she knew what she was doing, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still, we, we can continue. Maybe I can gather my thoughts as we keep on talking. Yeah, but I, I think that point is clear. I, I think that point is pivotal though. You said before you cut off and not knowing where you want to go and that's fine. But you said, even though I think she knew what she was doing, I, I, I feel like that is the that is the point. The point is that even if she was suffering from something, she knew what she was doing. And if you look at the text messages, even the text messages outside of what was presented on the documentary, it's it's a barrage of, are you going to do it now? Like, why are you not going to do it now? Like, you need to do it now. You told me you're going to do this now. Why can't you do this now? Like, oh my fucking God, you're just going to keep backing out. And it's like, okay, are you really concerned about this individual? Or are you concerned about your story that's going to come about as a result of what this individual does? And I think it's the latter and not the former. I don't think she really cared about his health and his well-being i feel like she was concerned about the story that she was going to be able to latch on to after he did x y and z i mean that's just the way and, i feel and that's and and so, okay so i think i can i gather my thoughts now so i agree that she knew what she was doing when she tells him to get back into the vehicle right but i feel that what they're trying to portray and, the, and a person even said this as the documentary is going on, is that at the end of the day, all she wanted was that story, right? I don't personally feel that that's what she wanted to get out of it. I don't think that she kept on telling him, get back into the vehicle, kill yourself, just so at the end she could be like, oh, I'm the, the girlfriend that lost the boyfriend. I don't think that's that was her intentions. I think we also need to point out because this was not pointed out until almost the middle of the documentary that again, they've known each other for two years and throughout the two years, he constantly kept mentioning that he wanted to kill himself. And at the beginning of the relationship or at the beginning of whatever it is that they had, she kept trying to get him help. She kept trying to tell him, you know, maybe you need to go to, to a hospital. Maybe you need to do this. It's not towards the end of those two years that she starts pressuring him into doing it. So I think we need to mention that too. It wasn't that throughout the entire time she kept telling him, kill yourself. At the beginning, she tried to do something. It just didn't work. So it's almost at the end now that who knows? We don't know what she was thinking. Maybe she's like, you continue to do this. You continue to tell me, just do it. Again, that's just what I'm thinking. It's not, you know, what she may have thought. But I mean, yeah, go ahead. Now that you guys are all mentioning this, it, I don't know if this, this was, this is one of the parts that stuck with me and I'm going to just say it now. Um, how I think that for her, she wanted like 
not like a perfect love story, but like she, I think she was infatuated with the show she was watching because they mentioned it in the show as well that she quoted actresses the and Glee, Glee with, when Corey Monteith died, um, and his thing and was suicide. Fought, fought beneath our stars or whatever with that the movie. Fall, but yeah, I think she wanted that same type of like. I do think that at the end of it, she wanted to be like the girlfriend that lost the his, the girlfriend that lost his boy, her boyfriend. Yeah to suicide and she wanted all that attention like the whole everything that she did afterwards was all for attention and she got it and i think that she felt like fulfilled it in some way anyhow so she get charged with um involuntary manslaughter as she should okay <laughs> my opinion she should have given charge with more she got charged with involuntary manslaughter um, and so here's what I want people to understand just some of the intricacies because I don't want this just to be about us discussing a documentary I feel like we have more to offer than just this is what the documentary says um, but it's also an opportunity to educate the listeners the viewers on the processes that under that undercurts um, our criminal justice system and so um, what happens is is that there is a grand jury and so for those of you who don't know what a grand jury is which you should um, he, you probably heard about it throughout but you really don't know you probably don't know about the intricacies but the grand jury is a proceeding that's in secret right um, people are called to be a part of the grand jury um, it is secret the public typically does not know until there's a decision um, but the grand jury hears certain evidence and their job is to determine whether or not there needs to be an indictment an indictment is basically saying look we've heard this and we think there's enough for the state to move forward with um, trying to prove its case against you okay so that's what that that happened she was charged with involuntary manslaughter after the indictment, what happens is that her lawyers then go to the Supreme Court of Massachusetts and say as to them, look, Massachusetts does not um, criminalize suicide, right? Okay. We don't criminalize suicide. And she was a minor, right? Um, and so we don't think that this indictment is accurate. So the Supreme Court goes through it. They go through her text message. When you look at the opinions, like a 14 page opinion, they go through exercises. They go through the text messages and they basically says, look, um, involuntary manslaughter is not about. Right. It's not about the person being there saying do this. Right. It's about whether or not the actions of that person's contribute to the end result. And that contribution would have been in this particular case, the text messages, the barrage of text messages saying, hey, kill yourself, do X, Y, and Z, right? Now, they were not weighing in on the evidence because we haven't got to trial yet. But that, this case, the reason I bring this up is that um, this case went through a series of steps even before, before it went to the trial. Even after the trial, it went through a series of steps. And I'm going to say this, and people might not like it, but um, if you ain't got money, it's not going through all those series of steps. Yeah. Right? 
um, your indictment from the grand jury is typically what you are going to be presented with at trial. And when you are at trial, nine times out of 10, if you don't have money, if you don't have affluence and you don't have wealth, you're not going to be out in bail so that you can present and prepare for the defense of your case. Um, and I think that this particular case highlights the, 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 the power that money affluence provides you because she had all of that. She was able to go through and um, um, go through the appellate process for the purposes of the indictment alone before we even get to trial. And then when we get to trial, we'll talk about this, but she was basically out on bail. The whole time. Not once was she like arrested. Or exactly. Anything, yeah. And, it, yeah, and, and people and, weren't happy about that. No, and her bail it. was only $2,500. Yeah. Now, black folks can go to, uh, you know, I don't want to keep, I don't want to make this a race thing, but it is what it is. Like you go downtown and you can go sit in, now that COVID is here, you can't, but you can go sit in any courtroom that's public and you can see people being denied bail left and right 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 for crimes that are not even um, murder yeah. or someone doesn't even lose their life as a result like for instance um, drug crimes right and people are locked up in jail without the ability to prepare for the defense of their case because they just don't have the money to do um, and so this case bothered me in so many arenas. Um, so I know I'm coming off like an a-hole um, with her, but I, no, I just, I, I just felt like there's so many things that this case highlighted about the inconsistencies in our our justice system sometimes with re, with regard to wealth and affluence. Um, and we need to recognize that, and it's important to say that. But yeah, no, and even at the end when she actually, like at the end of the show when they, what what's it called at the end of like. The, the hearing, the verdict. Like the verdict, like they were trying to appeal it, and she was still out. Yeah, she didn't go straight in, even though they said that she had to do. I'm gonna just say go do some time. And uh, I don't think you're you're coming off as an asshole. I think that it yeah. has to be said. Yeah. Because it, it not only happened with her, it continues to happen, and it's happened with so many, so many other people. Yeah. You know, and it. It, it was crazy. It, it was indeed crazy because, like you said, had it been my son who had done that, trust me, <laughs> he wouldn't have gotten everything that she got. You know what no, I mean? No, like, not at all. Like, she, no, not at all. Like, it, it's ridiculous. And I mean, even at the arraignment hearing, you see her facial expressions. Like, this one, she was bigger, okay, before she went and either got a surgery or lost weight, one of the two. Okay. okay. Well, if, if, you don't, if you don't remember. <sighs> Go ahead. When they first showed her, the reporter said she came, you know, looking like she she got a tan, like she went to the tanning booth. No, she did all that. Got a tan. She got yeah. her eyebrows done. She got fillers in her lips. She lost weight, and I don't know if she lost that because she was stressed out, or she was exercising, or she got some kind of surgery. We don't know. She, you, they said that she had a, an eating disorder. I'm pretty sure that was. The but one they one also thing. said she had an eating disorder at the time that she was bigger. Yeah. Let's be clear. I don't and know. She and she's had that eating disorder since she was eight. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Let's be clear. Allegedly. I mean, we didn't hear from her at all, but I, I, I'm not I'm not denying it. I'm like, yeah, it looked like she went and got her hair done for trial. She, she had, definitely got her eyebrows done. That wasn't from bulimic, from being um, an eating disorder. Yeah. You don't, just because you have an eating disorder, no offense, no shade, no tea, no disrespect for people who are dealing with it, but your eyebrows don't... Like, immaculately get darker and arched up 
true. I'm. Uh, this is honestly, good. she didn't look good with them done. She though. did not. No, no. Why are you we're going, yelling? You're going way out of. The- I know. I wait. Last thing. I know we're we're already in the topic. <laughs> she I'm did telling not. You, there are a few like f- uh, people that have gone to jail and stuff, and they've been scouted by model agencies and stuff. Like jer- this guy named Jeremy Hicks or whatever his the name. The guy, is. yes, the guy yeah. with all the tattoos. Yes, uh-huh. I'm like, she could have been a model. But he, she but, had, like, but like, he, looked, but now all her chances are gone. No, he 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 got he was convicted and he still became a model. I know, but no one's gonna want to hire her. <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyways. I don't think she looked good with those eyebrows. I thought they were. She looked odd and weird. I I said it from the beginning to you guys. I thought she was pretty. Um, So let's go to the trial. So um, we've talked about several cases in here. And I know I've talked about several cases where I would have opted to have the judge decide versus a jury. And I think this is the first case that we've talked about where the Mm -hmm. judge, where the, the defendant actually says... I want to waive my right to a jury. Yeah. Right. And so what do you all think about that? It was smart on her case. (laughs) Well, I'm going to quote what they said in the documentary. Genius decision. (laughs) (laughs) Genius decision for real. Because she left it up to the jury. And it's exactly what he said. He said um, the, the Jason guy that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was the Jason. He said a jury of your peers often does not know the law as much as they know their own emotions and how their emotions apply the facts that are put in front of them. And I when he said that, I was like, that's me. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I will act so on my emotions, you know, and, and they, they it was a genius decision because had she left it up to a jury, she would have been guilty. I don't know. I can't say, right? I, but I, I personally feel she would have. I disagree. I think she would have been... I Honestly, I felt like she would have been better off with a jury. Um, because... Because you think they would have felt some of the emotions at least, by her? At least two of yeah. them. At least one of two yeah. would have said she should not have... This ain't her. Um, yes, it's immoral, but it ain't, it, ain't, um, it ain't a crime. And you... Think about where we are. We're in Massachusetts. Massachusetts is not a liberal state. Like you're thinking about the First Amendment and all of that. And so then it gets to people like, okay, how far does this cross the line? Like if I say to somebody at a bar, go kill yourself, fuck you, bitch. And they go and kill themselves. And I'm going to be responsible for that murder or that crime. Like, and so I feel like at least one person on that jury panel potentially could have held out and say no she's not guilty and that, I agree. That, I, that could have led to a, at least a hung jury or she that juror could have convinced other people to flip and say this you don't want this like think about if your kid was in the same situation and then they're brought before you know they're hauled into court because of this you know what yeah. i mean like yeah that's a good mm-hmm. point because yeah. even when the they were going around the town and asking people what they thought about the case some guy said the same thing you just said yeah i mean if i tell someone to jump off a cliff are they gonna right and you saw that you saw those people who were husband and wife they were going around the wife felt like she shouldn't be responsible the husband felt like he should be responsible she should be so (laughs) wait did you guys see that with the lady in the car she had that accent she was like 90210 and that that was the lady that was in um conrad city yeah but yeah. what the documentary doesn't show and my independent research 
revealed. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> right, he says independent research. One, one more, more time. time. Okay, but apparently, um, where if 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 um, what's his chick name? Michelle Carter and Conrad never would have been in Florida. These two never would have interacted because the people who lived in um, Michelle City felt like the people who lived in Conrad City were like trash and beneath them. Yeah. <laughs> so they were seen less than. And I don't know if you recall in the documentary, I think it was the grandma or someone of Conrad was basically like when they saw or heard of her or saw the family, they thought they were like uppity, like someone important. Um, and that's because there's like that other side of the railroad tracks syndrome, right? Um, you go to Chicago, for instance, on one side of the, the, the railroad tracks, it's it's affluence, it's money. On the other side, it's like, mm, we don't want to go there type of yeah. thing. Um, and so we also have that dynamic, which I think if it, it could potentially have um, played a role in her psyche in regards to, I think someone said it, it was either in the expose I read, because I don't think it was in the documentary, but they were saying that Conrad was exotic to her because he was different. It was something that she wasn't used to in her city, right? Because we were not accustomed. We would never like hang out with these people. We don't go to school with them. We wouldn't even play them in sports type of thing. You know what I mean? Um, which potentially could play in that. I know what you mean because, you know, I hate to say it, but that was me growing up. You know what I mean? Like growing up, you you get to meet people from different cities and it's like, I have a friend in that city and he likes me. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. like we, I don't know if this is just a female thing, but we want to show off, you know? And especially if he was prohibited and not prohibited, but if it was like you're saying it, then it gives me more like, oh, she's messing with a bad guy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk about the trial. So we get into the trial. She decides to rave her right. Um, and you saw the only time that we hear from her is when um, the judge asked her, um, was she coerced? And did she understand that she was raving her right to a jury by her peers? And she says, no. Or yes. Yes. She understands that she wasn't and coerced. That right? was it. All right. So she forgoes her right to a trial by jury by her peers. She decides to do a bench trial. We we see the prosecution. We kind of hear bits and pieces of their opening statements. And we'll talk about um, the presentation between the two in a minute. Um, but then we we hear the first witness that the prosecution call is Camden um, Roy, who is comrades. Oh, no, they call her the mother first. But the little we only see like a spurt of her testimony right yeah they showed um his picture they showed her his picture when he got the um the license the captain license um and asked her you know i think it was how old was he when he got it or something like that because yeah. he had gotten it a couple of months prior to the suicide um and i think it was one other question and it that was, was to really show, it it was to if she could point at Michelle. oh that's right <laughs> yeah um, but I think one thing ahead. that we forgot and and help me remember, but I think that at the beginning, the officers involved mentioned that this probably never would have even been, 
I don't know what the word is, had they not taken that cell phone because they didn't necessarily need to take any evidence because it was suicide, right? Right. So we'll get to that. I think we can tie that into the trial because that's something that I okay. want to bring up as well. Um, um, but actually, you know what? Let's step back and let's just do that now because the we don't see i'm not sure if the detectives actually testify or not because we don't see that in documentary i don't remember them yeah but what what we find out is that conrad decides to take his life on january the 12th 2014. he decides to take his life by getting a um generator is it a genuine generator generator. what is it some i don't know i think it's a generator yeah something that's what they mentioned it creates carbon monoxide um, and so he gets into his vehicle. He goes to a super Kmart. Kmart parking lot. He parks his vehicle. He turns on this genera- generator that is exuding carbon, carbon monoxide mm-hmm. inside his vehicle. And, it's, and essentially he asphyxiates himself um, with carbon non- monoxide. Okay. Now, that's the end result, right? What we find out is that when the officers arrive to the crime the the scene um they identify that it's apparent it appears as if it's an apparent suicide right and they see um his cell phone and the vehicle with him and the officers were debating whether or not they should take the cell phone because it's apparent suicide you don't what what more do you need to do right um and so but for the fact that they decided to take the cell phone, they probably would not have known about the connection with Michelle, right? Because it's only after they decide, you know what, let's take the cell phone. The cell phone is dead, right? And then they go back, they charge it up, and apparently they pop up um, the messages, and one of the first people that they see is Michelle Carter, right? And then they start reading these messages. Um, and then they basically be like, holy shit, like this is more than just a guy who decided to take his life. He might have been pushed to take his life, basically. The man's, do, does anyone disagree with that? No, you're, doesn't, I mean, that's what. Yeah, I think you said it. They, when the thing came up, her message was the one highlighted. So as they start going through it, they were like, wait, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so then they go to the school to to get herself to talk to her she and, and this is the other thing like i just don't like her i'm sorry they go and talk to her at the school and she, when you hear her and her response she act like she don't even know him like she barely know him oh yeah we 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 talked yeah he did say you know when was the last time you talked to him i don't really know i think it was like the other night and I'm like, chick, you, <laughs> you were literally texting him the night before when you're gonna do it, when you're gonna do it, the day of when you're gonna do it, when you're gonna do it. You need to do it now. And then he's like, okay, I'm gonna do it now. Then you're right. Well, we're forgetting the fact that they were on the phone twice. Yes, during that time, yeah. right? And they talked on the phone for at least 92 minutes, 47 minutes one time, 40 something minutes a second time and the prosecution alleges that it was the last phone call that she actually heard him dying as he was committing suicide in his vehicle right yeah we hear that that is at least it's a position 
Um, and so when when you hear, I, I don't know, it, it, it just really bothered me, like her approach about it when they went to go talk to her about him. And it wasn't like there was any concern, like any care. Yeah. I just I just didn't get any of that. What a, I, And it goes back to the whole her showing no emotion throughout the case or the trial. Like she had no remorse towards what she did. She only really cared about herself. Nah. All right. So, Denise, you wanted to say something? Yes. Um, I just want to make it clear that we are not making any judgment about a person's medical condition or lack thereof. Um, but we're just simply providing commentary on what was presented in the HBO documentary. Um, so we may have our opinions about how we personally perceive the evidence, but that's just exactly what it is, our opinions. All right, exactly. In my opinion, is she had no medical condition that impacted her. All right, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. Like if I was on that, ju- if I was a juror, mm-mm, guilty. All right. Well, exactly. me too. I would have definitely said guilty too. But. <laughs> All right. But at the trial, we hear from the mom. We've already talked about her. We also hear from the sister. Um, I think her name is Cameron or Camden. And Camden talks about text messages that Michelle sends her the night before. Um, Conrad decides to commit suicide. Um actually no i take that back it was actually an hour after his death that this this text message was sent and she sent a text message to camden saying hey camden it's michelle carter i don't know if you remember me but i'm dating your brother again ha ha does your mother know where he is okay this is after like that's so oh my god this is after all the text messages she had up to the point to tell him where to go because she actually tells him in a text message go to a parking lot Okay, and he goes to a Kmart. And this is after she's on the phone with him for over 80 minutes while he is in the process of trying to commit suicide. And she sends this messages, this message. And then the next day, she sends a message that says, find him yet? And then Candace says no. And then Michelle says, okay, just stay positive. Let me know. Like, <laughs> okay. Who, who, who does that? A psychopath. Somebody <laughs> that has issues. But let's not also forget that she not just did that an hour after. It's like they said, she tested the waters before two days he before he even died. That. Yeah. Yeah, before, like before he committed yeah. suicide, she sent a message to her friend, knowing it was fucking a lie. But in the in the same time that she was sending a text message to Conrad, she sends a text message to her friend and said, "Oh my God, Conrad is missing." Yeah. Who 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 does that? Or even like after she sent the text message saying that like, "Oh, it's my fault. Like I told him to kill himself." That's well, that's after, but that's what got her in the steamy water. Yeah. But but um, who yeah who does that? Like what? What? What are you doing? Like why are you knowing that what you what you're sending to your friend is a lie about a person missing, and then you also communicate with the same person even before Conrad commits suicide, and you say, "Oh, I, I don't, I think it's going to turn out bad." Basically, what she says to the friend, right? Yeah, she technically, yeah. So uh, this is why I have no sympathy for her. Now, granted, 
I don't want going back to what you said. There could be some medical issues that could have impacted her right to know right from wrong. Unfortunately, we didn't hear any of that, so I I'm going to discount that like the judge did. Okay. <laughs> We we hear that we I'm not just gonna give her that okay I hear no evidence of that so um she had no she she was testing the waters as the prosecution says um and um I know that the the journalist when you read his expose he takes a different position he doesn't think she was testing the water he thinks that she was living in the fantasy world. And and all of that. So he is more in line with you, but yeah, none of that evidence is brought I, up. I want to say he had it not been for him in this documentary, I could have been per, per, what's the word persuaded mm -hmm. in so many different directions. I felt that his his comments, his point of view is what made me look at the situation totally different. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a good journalist. I don't and, think anyone would like put those two and two together with yeah. her like um quoting like shows and stuff and stuff no one it was him that mentioned that right? yeah and and what he says in his expose is that he was there he covered this case from the very beginning even before yeah. it was sensationalized even before all these journalists was there so he he met like with the girl alice and all of that and did an interview with her um and so we'll talk about that too um if we have enough time but anyhow, I, I agree with you. I think he was, he did a very good job. I don't agree with everything he says um, in regards to his interpretation of her, but I think that he did a phenomenal job of putting into perspective potentially the world that these two were operating in, right? Because as you indicated, I think because we're older um, and maybe we feel like we would never do anything like that, like our mindset is a little different right the bubble that we're operating on or operating in is a little different so i i yeah i agree if you want wholeheartedly with that all right yeah all right so then we hear from all of these friends right there's friends allegedly friends of michelle that comes <laughs> up right and yeah they, i don't even call them friends yeah because basically the prosecutor was like did y'all hang out before all of this and they was like yeah no she no. was a pest like <laughs> they didn't say she was a uh, so in so many words basically she always yeah. wanted to hang out she was needy um and always needed somebody around and always wanted to be involved and yeah we had we had our own life going on and she wasn't it basically okay that's what, what this we did. is not exactly what they said this that's the gist. interpretation okay but that is that not the gist of what y'all got from it yeah okay and it wasn't <laughs> until conrad passed right that they felt sorry for her and this was the first time that one of the girls actually slept over her house <laughs> yeah but sam had a relationship with no her sam prior. did not sam did not sam did not have a relationship with her sam received text messages from her and sam felt like Let's it was clarify it, that. Yes, yes you're right sam sam felt like it would it would be rude for her not to respond to these text messages but they did not have a close relationship as michelle presented it yeah, I don't think none of those girls had a friend. Honestly, again, I don't think she had friends. She didn't. I ain't think no, that she no was. Thing. She had no friends. Yeah, she was in these different, like she was in the softball. She was in, in whatever club she was in. So these yeah. are just people that she's met through it. And she's had her. a conversation. In. They okay. were just But she was mates. very clingy. Yeah. They like were just all like... those messages. 
I would have been like, girl, like get a life and leave me alone. Yeah. So she she didn't do that. Okay. She ain't had no friends. And then yeah, here's the clincher, right? The clincher of this case is that she sends Sam. See, this is what happens when you're guilty because you you start doing stuff that you shouldn't you shouldn't do, right? She sends Sam a text message that basically says, "Oh my God, I could have stopped it, right?" If it wasn't for me, I told him to get back into the fucking car. And but for me, he would still be alive. That's the text message that she sent Sam. Right now, why is this important? It's important because when you pull the records of Conrad's phone and Michelle's phone, all you get to see is the amount of time that they spent communicating. What you don't get is the substance of that communication. Okay. And so she decides to send a message to someone else. And because she sends that message to someone else, you get to use that against her because she is a defendant in the case, right? We've talked about hearsay before, right? That's out of, uh, out of court statement, blah, blah, blah. But there is an exception to hearsay and it's called party opponent. Basically means that if it is, if you are a defendant in the case and you send a message to someone else, that hearsay is no longer hearsay because it is a message from you or a statement from you. And so that's why they were able to bring that in as evidence to show the truth of that con of that conversation. And the truth of that conversation is, is that he got scared and he said, I can't do this. And you basically told him, suck it up and get back in there and do what you need to do. Right? Basically. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah, very sad. I mean, it's like, and even and then, it, it, and, and and what annoys me is like when you read the opinion. Uh, we'll come to that. Okay, so they say that she says that, right? Um, and there's nothing that she can do to refute that at this point because she's not on the stand, right? And Sam testifies to the fact that she received the message. The message is on big screen in the courtroom, right? Yeah. Nothing you can do. So the prosecution rests and then the defendant bring their case. So they bring this expert who come up with some bullshit, basically. Okay, I'm just gonna say bullshit. Expert's a strong word. Well, he he was quite, he, first of all, he was, he was qualified as an expert. For those of you who don't know anything about how this works, it is a rigmarole to get someone qualified as an expert. You have to go through a whole lot, okay? He was qualified as an expert in this case, okay? He goes to talk about some bullshit that nobody believes, okay? We put that aside. Basically, what he says is that she was involuntarily intoxicated and Conrad's messages to her was pulling him pulling her further into this intoxication because she was um, on Prozac and then they changed it to Selexa and because of that change in medication, it was like too much and then she went into this intoxication state. Intoxicated state. Okay. That's what... That's so, what, did, did it... Did he say, though, that, that she was switched like a couple of months before this happened? He was trying to say that on July 2nd is when the involuntary intoxication occurred because that's when the switch apparently occurred. So a few 
maybe two weeks before, not even two weeks, uh, 10 days before Conrad um, commits suicide. This chick had a medicine change on the second, allegedly, but that doesn't that doesn't speak for the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the tenth, the eleventh, the twelfth. Yeah, but after again, he, after he commits suicide, then the thirteenth, fourteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth. Then these text messages to Sam. Then the text message to the best friend. Hey, I want to do homers for Conrad. Why are y'all trying to do? Why are you doing it in this city and not the city he actually lived in? Oh, you trying to take my credit? I mean, what do you think? You agree? You think Michelle has some problems? No, I think that doctor didn't know what he was talking about. I think Michelle <laughs> knew what she was doing the whole time. Okay. Then, um, the judge makes his decision. And what is the decision in the case? Guilty. Guilty, right? After two days, he reached his verdict. His verdict in two days. But we need to put some perspective to what this guilty... Guilty... Um, verdict meant so what the judge says is yes there was a lot of text messages there were a lot of text messages up until the point where Conrad decided to take his life his own life that essentially one would look at and say that she was essentially trying to force him to take his life right the judge did not find her guilty because of those text messages, those words that she was using, kill yourself, take bleach. Why don't you use a generator? Why don't you do this? Go here, do it now, this day. Why don't you do it now? What are you waiting on? You're taking too long. Those messages, as insightful as they were, and as disturbing as they were for people who are reading them, including myself, including his family, I'm presuming, those text messages in and of themselves were not enough to say that it caused wanton or reckless behavior, conduct, right? Now, what what sealed the deal for the judge, however, is that at the moment that he got out of the car, so there was a point in time where Conrad got out of the vehicle after using um, the device that he had determined to use to take his life. Um, he got out of the vehicle and apparently he was in pain and he communicated and called Michelle, okay? At the moment that he contacted her, he broke the chain of this is my will to do this. This is what I want to do. He broke that chain. He communicated with her. And at that that time, because she took the call, she communicated with him. And instead of contacting the police, instead of trying to talk him out of it, instead of calling his mom, his brother or his sister or his, his granddad, she decides to tell him to get back in the vehicle and essentially suck it up and do the deed, right? And it was at that point that she took the call and she understood what was going on, that she had a duty to act. And she did not act reasonably in a reasonable as a reasonable person would have in, in her shoes to prevent him from continuing with his plan to commit suicide, right? Um, and it's because of that situation that she was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter right yep and why is that important because has she not sent that text message to sam boardroom or boredom or what was the girl name sam sam i don't know her last name has she not sent that text message i don't think we would have the same verdict agree 
right? Because the judge looked at all those text messages. Yeah. We had all those text messages. It was not those text messages that caused him to make the determination that she was guilty of involuntary manslaughter. It was on July 12, 2014, after that phone call, the first phone call when he got out of the vehicle that connected her duty to, to act. And her failure to do that and her conduct thereafter basically inciting him to go back into the vehicle um, was the conduct that caused her to be latched to involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, and I agree with him. I think that, I mean, since the beginning, it, that's what always stood out to me. The fact that he he came out of the car and she kept telling him to go back in. And uh, that, that just breaks my heart. And I, I agree. You know, she had a duty at that. She had a duty since day one, personally, in my opinion. If somebody is on your phone texting you so much telling you that they want to do this come on now you know at, at what point do you sit there and say this person really needs help you know or, or i need to try to find them some help but i agree i think that by her telling him to get back in and not trying to get him some help he, he was already saying you know it's it's getting to me you know what yeah. i mean like the the carbon monoxide is getting to me and, and he came out that means that he wanted to live you know what i mean somebody who wants to 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 really commit suicide is not going to get out of that car because that's that's the purpose of me doing this yeah right and and that paralleled i think when you read because she so ultimately she's found guilty so i i'll, I'll say this um she's found guilty right then we go to the sentencing and she's sentenced to what a minimum of like two years she sentenced to 20, I think it's 24 months, right? Mm -hmm. With um, 15 months to be served and the, re the remainder to be, um, the balance of that to be for basically washed, forget, off. washed yeah. off and to 2022, right? Essentially. Yeah. Okay. But the at the same time that her sentencing is given, her, her defense issues in motion to say that they want to go through appeals. And they request that she be let out on bail during the balance of or during the time that her process is working its way through in the appellate process. Right. So the judge agrees. He says that this is a situation that he thinks that the appellate um, division will want to weigh in on, which I, I think is fair, um, given the nuance area of the, the crime that's been that she's been charged with. So I do think that's fair that he would want to receive um, opinions from the, the higher court. Um, and they ask that she's out on bail during that time. And he grants that. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you all heard this, but when they came out of the courtroom from that point, um, one of the reporters basically says, you know, what if this doesn't finish into 2022? Conceivably, she wouldn't spend one single day in court. I mean, in general. I don't remember. That's so crazy. Yeah. So, had the appellate process did not work itself out and it extended into 2022, then technically she would not have to serve, and they would have ruled, or even no matter how they would have ruled, they would she wouldn't spend a day in jail because remember the judge says um, that the 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 sentence expires in 2022. Okay. Crazy. So anyhow, at the end of the day, what happens is it goes through the appellate process. They um, and he does say that it only go through the state process. Okay, um, 
which I thought was a, a better decision in regards to that. But anyhow, so um, she goes to the Supreme Court, um, basically says like, look, there's no way I could have been found guilty of, of involuntary manslaughter. The Supreme Court said, nah, check, you're going to jail, basically. <laughs> so that happened in February 2019. Um, she starts serving her sentence. She goes to jail. Um, remember, she's supposed to be serving 15 years. I mean, excuse me, 15 months. She gets out less than 12, technically, because she gets out in February 2020. January no, she 23rd. gets out January. Oh, January 23rd. Yeah, yeah, so she only did 11. Um, so she gets out less than 12 months because of good behavior, because she was a model. Good conduct. Yeah, she model was Model inmate. She was a model inmate, okay? Because <laughs> she didn't have her cell phone. She couldn't send all these crazy-ass messages. That's probably why. All right, so anyhow, she was a model inmate. She gets out. Now, what we do know is that she is incapable of making any money on this story until at least 2022. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see in 2022 if she comes out and try to tell her story um, so that she can make money off of it. So um, she does go to the Supreme Court of the United States, though, to ask them to overturn her conviction. Conviction, But I think in... Oh, um, really? Yeah. In January 2020, the Supreme Court declined to hear her case. So she still is convicted. That uh, is something they didn't mention in the documentary no, either. No, that's my independent research. Yeah. Yeah. So IR. that's what we are. I'm sorry. IR. Oh, my IR. That's what we are with with that particular case. But I will say, you know, uh, the wording from coming from him is what irritated me. Right. The independent research, how many, how constantly he kept on saying it. Right. But I'm glad that he did it because, again, I feel that. These documentaries or stuff, I don't know if it's because they crunched in time or they want to make, they want to edit it the way they want to edit it so we can get something out of it. But had he not done that research, there's a we whole lot of things known, that yeah. we would have never known. Yeah. And I so it's crazy. Yeah, it is. I will say that they could have made this into a one episode documentary, not a two episode. Like half yeah, the time the, it was just text messages. Like Yeah, just, the second yeah, episode the, was kind of a waste. Yeah. A waste That's of why time. I stopped. With the text messages, because I was like, okay, that's just too many. Yeah. But I will say this: there's a, another case going on like this. You guys know? No. Where? Who? Yeah, there's another case going on. It's in the Suffolk Superior Court in Boston. Um, she's facing involuntary manslaughter for the death of Alexander Utola. He took his own life on the day of his Boston College graduation. And her name is In Young Yu. It's currently going on. Oh, wow. So this is going to be yeah. interesting. We can have another uh, uh, follow-on um, topic on this. Okay. So um, thank you for that. I didn't know that. I feel that's just important for us to mention that if anyone is, but if anyone is dealing with, you know, suicide thoughts or something like that, they can always reach out to the National Suicide Hotline. Um, and I do want to say the number, 1-800-273-8255, which we just never know who. And even you know. if you don't think you are, you fall in that category, if there are moments in time where you feel like you can't operate in the space that you're in, it is always a good reason to find someone or speak to someone who is a professional um, who might be able to help you get through that. Um, so I mental health is important um and speaking to someone is important um and so do that 
um, please, because you never know. You just might need a a an uninterested party to tell you something that you just haven't heard before, or maybe you've heard it from your family, but they're your family, and you just need to hear it from someone else. So yeah, um, get the help that you need. All right. So that is episode thirty-seven. I love you now. Die, Michelle Carter, needy or in need. Continue to make sure that you reach out to us on Facebook. That is Peep Street Cafe. Make sure that you reach out to us on YouTube. That is Peep Street Podcast on YouTube. Oh you can get us on Instagram, on Twitter, and TikTok at Peep Street. Um, our TikTok has been slacking because. You're- this one right here has not been doing his TikTok duties. All right. Um, but hopefully they come up. You can get us on Instagram. Did I say that? Because this one right here, her, she's supposed to be um, ahead of IG, but she's been slacking too. Very busy yeah. at work. Okay, mm-hmm. this is your job. All right, um, <laughs> you can text us. <laughs> Let's yeah. not go into this again. <laughs> you can text or call us at two zero two six one eight zero zero four three. You can send us an email at cafe at peepscreek.com that's right we have our own email associated with our organization because we are official and you can contact us on um our website www.peepscreek.com you can check out our new our um you can check out all of our episodes on there. We we have them there. When we stream these um, videos live every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can view it there as well as Facebook, Twitter, um, Twitch, YouTube, and YouTube. And on the heels of Twitch, you can also contact us on Twitch at, at Peeps Creek. All right. Anything else? Nope. You can buy us coffee um, through our website. You can buy us coffee through our website. All right. Until next time, continue to do what? Drink, listen, and converse. Look at that water. Look at that water. Look at that water. Look at that camera. Look at that camera. All right. Let's go over here. Denise, are you done with your coffee? You want to show your coffee cup? I'm way done with the coffee. All right. Like two hours ago. All right. You want to show that coffee cup? Thank you. Get some excitement. All right. You can get that. You want to bring the camera, bring it up just a little bit? It's good. These are old Peeps Creek mugs. Okay. All right. So until next time, um, continue to drink, listen, and converse. And Denise, peace and out. (laughs) Oh, my God. Why do you do this every episode? It's her her thing. It's peace and love. It could be peace and love to you. It's peace and out to me. All right. Until next time, peace and love.